Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Please forgive me. I've been wrong all my life. Please forgive me. I just want to do right. Please forgive me. Forgive me, I was show is brought to you by audible go to audibletrial.com slash book guys and get a free book just for trying them out for one month this is the book guys show i am paul alves as always joined by a fine panel of book lovers uh starting of course i'm I'm going here on the go-to meeting screen uh, in clockwise fashion on my side here from freehollowbooks.com sir jimmy how are you sir Doing great. Sorry to miss the last show, guys. Great to be back. All right. You know what's great? Because you get to listen to the show as if you weren't there. It's kind of neat. It was neat. It was interesting. It was like, wow, this is a really good show. I'm going to start listening to this. And next up on the list, author Steve Bergsman joins us. How are you doing, Steve? Uh, Very well. How are you? Very well, sir. We're going to talk about your your recent uh, newest book, Death of Johnny Ace, which I believe is coming out this month sometime. Uh, Middle of the month, around October 15th. Very nice. Looking forward to it because I, I have the review galley. It's got a kind of a bland cover. I want to get one with uh, Johnny Ace on the cover when I go to my local bookstore. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. And, uh, of course, Father Robert Balliser, the digital Jesuit. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. I am actually in the middle of a crazy, noisy con- uh, convention center at the Javits in New York. We're building up one of the most advanced temporary networks. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a kind of a weird place. It's also really hot, evidently. There you go. I, I, I notice you're wearing your Band Books t-shirt, not your uh, collar today. That's right. You know, you have to represent the Band Books throughout history, uh, also known as the Books of Knowledge. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that you should celebrate. Speaking of Book of Knowledge, uh, Sir Jimmy, do you have that book with you? The book of knowledge yeah, you just yeah. hollowed out? I got it right here propping up my iPad. It's the book of knowledge. Ooh. And oh, very nice hollowing job, my friend. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> you could put a banned book in there and no one would know you're reading the banned book. That's its entire purpose. <laughs> Fantastic. A great way to hide your banned books, folks, from the government. Freehollowbooks.com. <laughs> and uh, Steve, how are you, sir? Um, I'm doing great. Down here in Arizona, nice weather, about 100 degrees. I'm doing fine. Now, now, Steve, we usually start off the show by talking about what's on our uh, nightstands, on our Kindles, on our Kobos, iPads, smart. There's so many ways to read now. Holy crap. Sorry, Padre. <laughs> Here's what's on my nightstand. I had to do it. I take the bullet for the team here. Uh, J.K. Rowling's The Casual Vacancy. Um, for someone with a really bad name, I'm really bad with names. So about 20 pages in, I've decided to restart with a notebook because 20 pages in, I've met like my 40th character. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to restart that one with a notepad beside us. Uh, and uh, Steve, what have you been reading lately? I just finished a, a Booker, man Booker award winner, the Frinkler question or something was on my Kindle. I was traveling, read it heavily. Not true, sure of the author. You know, it's not like uh, uh, when you have a book, you can always look at the author's name. Yeah. You just post it, post it on your Kindle. You never see the author's name again. It's a great way to discover good books. Is like the Man Booker Prize, the you know the here in Canada, Scotia Bank Geller Prize. Uh, I mean, any anyone from the top twenty is it's usually a pretty decent book. Uh, yeah, sir- and, and I just read the Steve Jobs biography. That was pretty interesting as well. It's surprisingly interesting. I thought it was going to be a dry read that one, but. 
quite an interesting no, I, tale. I, I sort of resisted it my, myself, and then about three or four friends said, you got to read this, you got to read this, and uh, it was a great read. I was actually kind of uh, envious. Really good author. Uh, Sir Jimmy, what's on your... And I see your iPad, uh, your Apple stickers there, Sir Jimmy. We're not a video podcast yet. This is just for us to communicate and to get the human connection here as we're talking. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I'm glad it's not yet because I haven't moved the studio. Uh, I uh, got it set up yet. I feel bad I'm the only one without a bookshelf in the background. <laughs> but I just finished reading um, Ender's Shadow, the what we decided was the second book in the Orson Scott Card Ender's Game series. And I have recently just started, I don't know, I'm about a, a quarter of the way into uh, Demon by... By Suarez, Daniel Suarez, nice. Daniel Suarez, yes, enjoying it very much. It it jumps back and forth. I'm real excited to see how they're going to take all these pieces and merge all of these different uh, little goings on into one story. The it's crazy a uh, a Hummer that mows people down by and is controlled by computer and no one can <laughs> stop it. Lovely. Sounds like Maximum Overdrive from Stephen King. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> now, no, I will talk about it later, uh, Sir Jimmy, but uh, what do you think about reading Ender's Shadow right after Ender's Game? I tell you what, uh, at first I was, I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy the fact that it was separate and it merged in very well and they, they complemented each other just right. Uh, there was very little of actual ender in this book yeah he was sort of an outside character that everyone was referencing and an interesting point um at the and maybe we'll talk about this later but uh there's orson scott card at the end of the book had uh, uh he, he talked a little bit about making ender's game into a movie and he no nobody could write a script even he tried you know to write right. a script three or four times for a movie couldn't figure out how to talk about all the things that were going on in people's heads without a voiceover and they decided to take those two books merge them and make the movie out of those two books together which oh brilliant made a lot of sense. i didn't know that brilliant uh padre anything new i know you've been traveling all around the world as the digital jesuit yeah i had i had to give up on uh, hardbound and even on my uh, kindle versions of books just because I, i've been on the road for the last 10 days uh, and so I've been audio booking it and um, I, I got back into the Daniel Suarez series. I, I had finished Demon, which I, again, I'm, I'm right with Sir Jimmy, the, especially the audio version describing this, this badass Hummer just mowing through everyone. It's, it's kind of gory, but I mean, at the same time, it's sort of like if, if anyone has ever built a remote control car you have in your mind doing what that hummer is doing basically it's okay mayhem, chaos and so forth I, I was explaining that one little portion to my son today as i was driving him to the dentist and he said well dad why didn't the cops just call in a monster truck to mow it down and i said hey <laughs> you go. need to go into law enforcement i suppose you got to figure it out uh, although i have to say the amount of abuse that that car took before it finally stopped it, it was it was oh, it hasn't stopped yet. It hasn't limits. stopped yet. La, 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 la. Oh, spoiler, spoilers. Oh, 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 my bad. Oh, gosh. I, the, I did, the cops I did all just, left. No. It's, it's hey, listen, we, we can spoil books for the listeners. We can't spoil books amongst ourselves. That's Come right. on. That's right. At least not without our spoiler, usual spoiler sound effects. And Irish Kevin, how you doing? Pretty great. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, what have you been reading this week? Uh, I know the answer. <laughs> the Death of Johnny Ace. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, very well said. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of blues music, uh, and obviously coming from Ireland, didn't know too much about Memphis in the 50s. So uh, thoroughly enjoyed the read and really enjoyed it. It was great. Yeah, and I have to add a little addendum there. Yeah, I also, this week, The Death of Johnny Ace, really enjoyed it, or actually last week, really enjoyed it and had to get Steve on the show. And uh, we'll start off talking to Steve. And uh, I know I have jingles. Nonfiction. Ah, The Death of Johnny Ace, a novel by Steve Bergsman, who happens to be right on my go-to-meeting screen. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing terrific here. Now, now, now Steve, uh, both uh, Irish Kevin and I, who work together, really enjoyed this. And uh, i got to ask you, first off, who is Johnny Ace? And what made you make a, uh, write a whole book about him? 
Well, well I'm sort of an old, uh, a rock and roll junkie, so I follow the, uh, uh, I look towards the roots of rock and roll, and the, and the Johnny A story is a very infamous story in sort of the history of rock and roll. And, uh, and it's a great story. Um, you know, uh, uh, a famous uh, rhythm and blues singer, famous at the time, he, his career is peaking. He's uh, um, on a concert in, um, in Houston Auditorium. And um, just before showtime, uh, allegedly, he blows his brains out playing Russian roulette. And that's the end of Johnny Ace. And uh, I mean, nobody knows, really knows what happened. And because there's so little written about Johnny Ace, I thought it would make a, a great book for me to sort of recreate the life of Johnny Ace. Now, uh, what kind of research goes into a book like this, Steve? I mean, it, it seems like it's almost like you were there. I mean, I know the we, we learned about the professor that you met and the, uh, the professor who's a friend of yours. Uh, but what? How, how do you? How well researched is this? I mean, this is it. Almost seems like you were there. Well, I, I a lot of uh, I, I did a lot of research on in terms of rock and roll history. B.B. Uh, King, who was a compatriot of an associate of Johnny Ace in the early days of Memphis. I visited Memphis twice. So uh, it took a little bit of uh, groundwork to, to get this book. I really just sort of had to get into the time of the book. The hardest part. Now, now, was it a coincidence that the professor uh, had been at Johnny Ace's last concert? Or did you know that before writing the book? Like, be honest. <laughs> well, I... I I have to confess, I made up the confessor. <laughs> I had a, uh, you know, I needed a, uh, I, I needed somebody to tell the story besides me. So I created the position of the p- professor. And then the book, as you know, swings back and forth between uh, the period of Johnny Ace and Johnny Ace's life and uh, the professor who's also filling in the, the missing pieces of the life. So the professor basically embodies the, the, the research you did. Yeah, that's a pretty good point, Paul. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Now, now, I know, I know personally know that it was very important, but how important really was Memphis to the whole genesis of rock and roll and the whole scene in the 1950s? Well, the uh, it really began sort of in the 30s and the 40s when the, the blues musicians from the Mississippi Delta, they started emigrating north, and the first stop was, was Memphis, Tennessee. So... Um, Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee, was uh, probably the one of the most happening places in the United States for uh, for blues music. And uh, there were clubs up and down the street, and anybody coming up out of the Delta, and there were a world of uh, uh, musicians coming up out of the Delta in the, by the late 40s. And every stop, and the first stop was Memphis, and then many of them moved on elsewhere. A lot of them uh, continued further up to Chicago and then uh, created Chicago's blues scene by the early 1950s. So, so I mean, Memphis wasn't the hometown for a lot of these uh, uh, singers and talent, but they, they knew that the music scene was hot, and that's kind of, they just all kind of congregated there? Yeah, uh, the, the, the Mississippi Delta is really not far away. Uh, Clarkdale, which is sort of the, uh, the epicenter of the Mississippi Delta musicians, only about an hour, an hour and a half ride of Memphis. So it wasn't a long space for them to uh, to get up there, and Memphis was really the first big city they hit, and that's why it was, it was so popular at the time. And the other big uh, important thing about Memphis, it had one of those super radio stations. Uh, if you, uh, you probably weren't around in the 50s or early 60s before FM, so uh, the AM stations uh, in some places around the United States would have these mega towers so they can uh, just uh, send out their signal as far as possible. And if you were riding in your car in the 50s, sometimes you get this thing called skip, and you you pick up uh, St. Louis or, or, uh, or Memphis or someplace right. far, far away. And, uh, and it had one of those stations, and it, was, uh, and it was a station that played rhythm and blues music. That's a lot like a CB radio. My father-in-law, he's a, a big CB radio guy since the 70s. He's actually got a CB 
that he brought down here to North Carolina from West Virginia to have this 92-year-old guy fix it. Nobody even fixes him anymore. And uh, his, my wife would talk about being a little girl, and uh, he would say the skip's running tonight, and he'd be talking to people who were all the way across the world. Yeah, it was the same kind of thing. So if you were driving in your car, say, in oh, a long way, say, in North Carolina or Texas or uh, maybe even near Chicago, you'd get this skip effect, and all of a sudden you'd pick up uh, uh, Memphis out, out of nowhere, where normally you'd just be uh, picking up your local radio station. Yeah, I was about to say uh, that phenomenon, the skip, it's, it's actually very well known. It's, it's used both by amateurs and by professionals because unless you have a satellite, you can't get around the curvature of the earth. From one point of the earth, you can only see so far before right. the signal goes off the surface of the earth. So you need something to bounce it off of. When the conditions are right, your signal actually bounces off the ionosphere and comes back down. On a good night, it may bounce multiple times, and you can actually get all the way around the world. Now, I know we're talking radio waves uh, back in the 50s and with the skip, but uh, there's a similar effect with sound waves. I know that, uh, I mean, as a kid uh, living at Dufferin College in Toronto, uh, we used to, on a, on a rainy night, be able to hear the concerts going on at the Canadian National Exhibition. It would have to be a rainy night, and uh, they'd have to be really loud, which usually they are. Uh, but on a, on a clear night, you couldn't hear the concert. But I can listen, literally sit on my porch and listen to a concert for free. <laughs> Same concept. Okay. Now, Steve, you think if if, um, if Johnny Ace hadn't – I don't want to spoil the whole book, but <laughs> <laughs> if he hadn't done what he did, do you think he would have moved on and maybe been in the Hall of Fame along with some of the people he played with? Yeah, um there was uh, um, a couple of cultural phenomena going on at the same time. In, in white America, uh, 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 teenagers seemed to model themselves on James Dean. That was uh, the epitome of, uh, of, of cool for white America in the 19, early 1950s. But the same thing was going on in black America, in urban black America, and the character that they modeled themselves on was Johnny Ace. So there was actually a cult phenomena of Johnny Ace in urban black America, just as there was a cult phenomena of Jimmy Dean in, in white America. Uh, of course, everybody remembers Jimmy Dean now, but uh, since this was all pre-rock and roll, nobody remembers Johnny Ace anymore, although he was as important to uh, the black audience the African-American audience, as Jimmy Dean was to the white audience in America. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I don't write rock and roll or blues uh, like you do, but, uh, I, you know, I'm familiar with Etta James, B.B. King, a lot of the characters in the book, but uh, I really was not familiar at all with Johnny Ace, and I've literally since then bought all his work. He's great. <laughs> yeah, so what happened with, like, Etta James and B.B. King, so their career continued on, and... and you know, they had, a, uh, especially at a James, she had a, a, a flourish in the early 50s, and then you didn't hear about her from a long time, and then uh, with the popularity of, of blues in the late 60s and onward, then everybody knew who Etta James was. B.B. King had his first hit in the early 50s. He sort of disappeared for a while, and then in the late 60s, um, again with the resurgence of the blues phenomena, and he had a hit single, The Thrill Is Gone, Everybody knows who B.B. King is, but Johnny Ace, that was it. Uh, he died and forgotten. Cut down in his prime, as they say. Uh, I, have, I have a question. I, I have a question for Steve. Uh, you know, you, you look at some of the jazz le legends, jazz and blues legends throughout history, and you see a lot of these, these sad stories. You see a lot of the demons coming out. You see a lot of the darkness coming out. And it's sad because, as you said, you know, you wonder what would have happened if so-and-so didn't do what they did or if so-and-so didn't have X happen or Y happen. But do you think that, you know, those demons, that dark past, that, that difficult upbringing, the, the difficult circumstances in which they're creating the art, is that necessary? Is that, is that a formula for the, the, the rhythm and the blues, for the jazz? I mean, the, the, I'm reminded of this one Family Guy episode where uh, the character Brian is making fun of uh, John Coltrane and saying, no junk, no soul. You know, is, is, <laughs> is that true? I mean, do you have to have that to, to be authentic? I, I don't think you have to have it. I mean, uh, all these uh, musicians started out in the same way. 
and uh, some of them uh, did go through this hard time. But let's talk about Johnny Ace. He and B.B. King rose up together. Um, Johnny, you might say, had this difficult problem, and but B.B. King, his contemporary, uh, pushed onward with his life, and they both started out. Uh, uh, actually, B.B. King uh, started out poorer than Johnny Ace. Johnny Ace's father was a, uh, a reverend, so he was for uh, uh, the African-American life in Memphis. He was as close as you were going to get to middle class, which, and, there, and, and in fact, there really was no middle class African-American life in Memphis at the time, but his father being a, a reverend, as close as you were ever going to get. Yeah, and it must have been tough. And, and, and I remember from the book the, the fact that after coming back from the war, he still wore his Marine outfit for months on end because, I mean, as, as a black person in that time, it's the only way you could get some respect, you know. He would get kicked right. out of the door in five minutes rather than right away. Right. Plus, uh, yeah, so he, he, uh, it was a rare thing for, uh, I mean, uh, for uh, uh, an African in Memphis in landlocked Memphis. I mean, it's on the Mississippi River, but it's in the middle of the country. Uh, for somebody to decide to be in the Navy and go see the world, uh, which he did, but he he, uh, he was a little late for the war, but he served his four years in the Navy and uh, came back. And besides, wearing your uniform uh, in, in a club in Memphis was a great way to pick up girls. And, of course, I meant Navy before all the jarheads send emails. Navy, not Marines. <laughs> That's important. Now, uh, Irish Kevin here was, uh, was mentioning that... Uh, Johnny Ace has actually been covered by a couple of famous people here. Elvis Presley, Pledging My Love. Bob Dylan covered him as well. And uh, Paul Simon wrote uh, a note to him called The Late Great Johnny Ace. All on my uh, to-buy list now. Actually, there was a... Uh, um, when, God, when, God, when, uh, when Otis Redding died and uh, a few others, there was a uh, sort of a rash of people writing songs about them after they, they, they died. And uh, that actually happened when Johnny Ace died. There were probably a half dozen artists who wrote, you know, uh, we miss you Johnny Ace type songs at the time. Uh, and, and actually his biggest hit, um, Pledging My Love, it was sort of brewing up the charts, mostly the rhythm and blues charts at the time. But after he died, uh, it was a... Uh, uh, it was a sort of phenomenon. He died, and then the the, uh, the the record took off all over again. And it was his first record to cross over into the the standard pop charts. Before that, all his songs were always on the rhythm and blues charts. But uh, after his death, uh, "Pledging My Love" became a uh, uh, a pop hit. I think it it may have peaked somewhere around number seventeen. But don't forget, this was nineteen fifty five. This was still pre-Bill uh, uh, Haley and the Comets, so this was a, a, a major leap for, for uh, rhythm and blues records. Now, of course, you can they hear say, all, all the music playing in the background there, Sir Jimmy. We, we put it in post. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Sorry, ahead, yeah, that, that'll be awesome. <laughs> they, uh, they say that there's no such thing as bad publicity, but in this case, I may have to disagree. <laughs> Well, it's a tough way to get publicity if, if you're, you're, you decide to play Russian roulette. That's, that's a hard way to go. That's right. <laughs> now, now, Steve, really enjoyed the book. Uh, looking forward to the commercial release of it. Like I said, I want to buy a copy that's got a you know, picture of Johnny Ace on the cover. Well, I, mean, I have to warn you, the, uh, it has, the book has this absolutely fantastic cover, but it's not a picture of Johnny Ace. Oh, no. <laughs> it's about... Uh, half dozen to a dozen pictures of Johnny Ace out there and the ownership of those pictures let's just say is in doubt so oh. we want to uh, put a, take, uh, get a picture out okay. there and then only to discover that somebody actually owns the right to those pictures so oh. well I'm uh, sure it's a, uh, the only thing I meant was it's probably a lot better than the you know the beige of the review galley that's all I meant <laughs> <laughs> Well, the only review books I ever read, I always get the same sort of uh, cover. <laughs> <laughs> now, where, where can people find all your work? Now, hang on, before we go on, Steve, you, you have also done a bunch of uh, articles. You've done a lot of great obituaries for various magazines. Tell us about some of the other 
stuff you've done in regards to rock and roll and blues? Uh, actually, I, I've um, I haven't written about uh, rock and roll in many years, um, and the reason is because in in, in the real world, uh, the world where I make my living, I, I, living, I write about uh, business, finance, real estate, and those are the kind of things that pay the bills. You just have to have an interest in rhythm and blues, and um, and uh, and write about it on occasion. But uh, I will say, uh, I'm just going to give this pitch to a friend. Uh, I was uh, working on a, a little, maybe 15 years ago, I was working on a biography of Mary Wells, the Motown singer who sang My Guy. Uh, and I was quite good friends with her. Um, I, I, and uh, she passed away. She passed away from cancer. I went to her funeral. Anyway, uh, I sort of just held on to those tapes for many years, all my interviews with her. And about two years ago, I got a call from uh, a fellow by the name of Peter Benjamin, who's going to write a uh, biography of Mary Wells. And uh, so I sh- shipped them all my tapes. And uh, there was recently on, uh, on one of the... Uh, African-American uh, cable stations. It was a biography on her, and Peter Benjamin's biography of Mary Wells, I think, is also going to be released in October. So there you go. Nice pitch for a friend. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's all we do here is shameless plugs, my friend. Okay. <laughs> and where, Steve, where can people find all of your work? Is there a website, or is there a... So we just search for you on Amazon? Uh, I'm, I'm, you could just find me anywhere on the web. I have thousands of... but. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon, uh, Nook, any of the uh, electronic medias out there. Uh, you, whatever you're reading, uh, if you want a uh, in trade paperback, you can get it on all the uh, ebook websites, uh, most notably Amazon. Excellent, and uh, you know, of course, using our fair use rights, we're going to play a little medley of some of the. Uh, clips of a uh, little music from uh, Death of Johnny Ace, uh, Johnny Ace himself. And by the way, Steve, I-, I picked up the one album you talked about, the one where the, uh, what was the name of the the album, the uh, the record company? They uh, they put out that memorial album almost like a week after he died. <laughs> oh, um, That's the one I picked up anyways. It, it was the one uh, from, from the record I, I, company. I, you know, I haven't listened to that in years. What's it like? <laughs> it's great. The, the audio is actually pretty good. You know, for the time. Right? Yeah, very well remastered. I just bought that on iTunes. I mean, and I, I predict, folks, if you're going to uh, listen or uh, read The Death of Johnny Ace, uh, you are eventually going to buy some songs on iTunes or go to the local record store and hunt for the vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of hoping there's a resurrection of uh, John interest in Johnny Ace because I really do think he belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I uh, hope the, the book spurs people to find him and find his music all over again. And I have, uh, I have to ask your friend there, uh, uh, did it spur an interest in Johnny Ace to him over your right shoulder? Most definitely, yeah. No, a uh, massive fan of blues and never heard of him. Uh, know nothing about him and kind of like the fact that uh, he died shooting himself. It makes it kind of cool. It's a really good rock and roll story. Yeah, and I loved how you opened with that in the book. You kind of got it out of the way and then told the story. I mean, that, that was brilliant. Loved it. Uh, thanks much. Good pacing, good pacing, as they would say. <laughs> so, so we'll be, uh, you know, would, Steve, would you stay with us for the rest of the show? We're going to talk some band books. Uh, I will do. I'll stay with it. Fantastic. We're going to listen to a little bit of Johnny Ace. We'll take a little break. We're going to refill our cups and uh, do whatever we have to do. And we'll be right back after this break. You said you want me. Baby, I'm glad. I feel so good now Cause you're not mad Please believe me I'm saving my love for you Please forgive me I've been wrong all my life Forgive me, I just want to do right. Please forgive me, please forgive me. I 
I was wrong Don't you know Don't you know I love you so Don't you know Don't you know I love you so Tell me why did you leave me Why did you have to go Listening to NoAgendaStream.com. All talk, no commercials, no agenda. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. I love how Jeremy Bullock, who plays Boba Fett, says, You be listening to Book Guys. That's awesome. And we're back. We're talking about banned books uh, because, of course, it is Banned Books Week, the 30th anniversary of Banned Books Week. And actually, we have a little clip from Bill Moyers, the unofficial uh, CEO of Banned Books Week. We'll play it afterwards. But, uh, gentlemen, Banned Books. I know I'm Canadian. Steve, you're, I'm, I'm assuming you're from the United States. You're American? That's correct. As usual, I'm surrounded by Americans and one Irishman, of course. <laughs> and... Uh, Banned books, books banned all over the world for various reasons. And I'm actually uh, doing some research on Banned Books Week. I found that books are banned for the most bizarre reasons. And it it really is country to country. And you'd be surprised some of the books that were banned in in Canada and the United States. You'd think it would be happening in China or North Korea or all those places that the the television tells us, uh, you know, are evil. But uh, right here at home. Padre, you you mentioned that one of the biggest hits of uh, books... Uh, the most uh, complaints was the Harry Potter series. Right. So I was uh, selfish and I took the Harry Potter series of books. And um, I, I got to say, you know, it's it's got an interesting history on the banned book list because it was banned by some states, by some school districts. It was banned by the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church. It was never banned by the Catholic Church, but uh, at the same time, there, there were differing opinions. First, for example, Cardinal Pell of Australia said, Hey, you know, the book tries to teach children about right or wrong. And it's, it's about someone who's willing to give of himself to, to help his friends and his loved ones. But then you've got um, a letter from then Cardinal Ratzinger, now the Pope, uh, talking about how, yeah, you know, it's good that people under, uh, tell children that these books are not the way you want to grow up. So it, the Harry Potter series is, is weird because I, I, I picked it back up and I started reading it from book one again. And it's amazing because uh, you know, I, I read them as they were released, and now I'm reading them all in order, how much the series changed from, it was really a child's book, to, I'd say, the, the fourth book, or maybe even the third book, really made it, it's like, no, this is not for children anymore. Right. This is too scary for children. But um, it, its place on the banned book list, it seemed it only lasted until people actually read the book. Once people read the book, they said, oh, yeah, okay, this is not objectionable at all. Now, I know in Canada, uh, we had some books banned for quite a while, decades, uh, because of using words like Negro, and uh, these were historical books. I mean, we're talking period pieces. Uh, A lot of them were written in the time where they're talking about I mean, there weren't period pieces. They were written in the 40s and 50s, and uh, they were banned for the use of those words. I know Steve uses some of that language in his book, but of course, his book being a period piece, it really brings you into the story. I mean, he's talking about... You know, uh, here's the Negro line, and here's the the white line, and that's how they just how they said it back then. Uh, you know, I just want to interject here. Of course, we're talking about banned books, and before I, I wrote the death of Johnny Ace, I wrote uh, a, a memoir of where I grew up, and I grew up in a place called Levittown, New York, and the memoir is called Growing Up Levittown. And my high school there, Island Trees High School, decided in the 1970s to ban uh, a bunch of books, and they banned books like uh, Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Go Ask Alice, um, Black Boy by Richard Wright, uh, Soul on Ice by Eldridge Cleaver. Uh, there were a bunch of these books that they just decided outright to ban because they didn't feel that the high school or the, uh, or uh, should have these books in in the school library. And uh, one, of the, one of the students in, in the high school, this was back in 1976, uh, uh, sued. And that case went to the Supreme Court in the United States. Uh, it's a very famous case. I think it's Peek, P. 
Pico, P-I-C-O, versus Island Trees. And the student actually won. This uh, it was a, a conservative Supreme Court, but the, the student actually won uh, uh, because there was no sound reason why the, the high school should have banned these books. And that sort of set the precedent. It was sort of a, a trend-setting case in terms of what high schools can do or not do in terms of banning books. Yeah, you know, the reasons for banning books are, are you know, myriad, but, uh, you know, our, our standard policy here at Book Guys Show is nothing should be banned. I mean, one of our resident book guys here is a padre, <laughs> and even he doesn't want anything banned because it's all, what did you say, it was all knowledge? They're all, you know. Everything is knowledge, and it's all about how you use that knowledge that determines the character of the individual. And if you ban books, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to determine how people should think. And, you know, that's never a good thing. Uh, along the lines of the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Anglican Church, they both said the same thing about Harry Potter, which is it was demonic and something along the lines of magic is no joking matter. Magic is nothing for children to play with. And you almost want to sit down with these people and, and ask that all-important question. Have you actually read the book or is this something that you've heard? Um, because I guarantee you almost every single one of them would be, no, no, I don't need to read it to know that it's evil. <laughs> now, Sir Jimmy, I want you to chime in now just because I see that the no bot has entered the screen there, your son Noah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm figuring if Noah reads Harry Potter and it turns him to Satanism, you've done something fundamentally wrong as a parent. I'm just saying, no matter what religion you start off as, or if you're an, an atheist, uh, you know, or agnostic, but if your child reads Harry Potter and s suddenly starts worshiping Satan, there's something beyond the book that's happened there. <laughs> so you read Harry Potter. So or did that make you into a devil worshiper? Not sure how to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Put him on the spot a little bit. He's still, he's still, uh, you know, working on, you know, Losing all his baby teeth. <laughs> no, I, was, I was about to say, uh, not too long ago, I had a conversation with um, one of my former parishioners because we were talking about the upcoming Banned Book Week. And um, he, I, I, was, I told him, look, I want to talk about Harry Potter. And he was upset. He said, well, you know, that book should be banned. I'm, I'm like, well, why? And he said, well, well, have you actually read it? It's so violent. There's, there's murder and there's killing and there's, there's people who hurt other people for fun and out of vengeance. You know, is that the kind of thing that we want our children to, to, to read, to see? And uh, I, I remember uh, my, my response, it was really off the cuff. I shouldn't have said this. I, I said, hey, uh, have you ever read the Old Testament of the Bible? Yes. There's some, there's some pretty hardcore violence. In Ca capital H, he is certainly a vengeful God in, the, in that one. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, uh, it reminds me of when I was in Poland and uh, we were watching, just watching daytime television, kind of hungover. And uh, I was like, all of a sudden, there's every channel you flip on, there's a woman walking around with her breasts hanging out, you know, or there's sex going on. And, and we're talking, you know, later on in the evening, it's like seven o'clock at night and all this stuff's going on television. And we're talking on like basic cable, this house we were renting had on it. And I turned to the, the one Polish person, I said, you know, wow, like, that's on TV at 7 o'clock at night? And, and he says to me, well, yeah, well, you know, here, we'll show sex and nudity before 11 o'clock, but murders only happen after 11, where you guys got it backwards. So it really does come down to the culture. Um, you know, he, he, this guy's looking me straight in the face. I mean, straight, uh, not, not joking about it. You, he said, you guys have it backwards. So, I mean, it really comes down to a cultural preference, and you see a lot of these... Uh, bands that I've been going through on my list here uh, happen for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes just because, you know, uh, the Archbishop of uh, Ireland didn't like a book. He really thought it was bad, so he banned it. You know, all the way up to, you know, Stalin didn't like 1984 because it was a satire of him. Um, you know, it really depends where you are and what your culture is. So let's just not ban anything. Let everybody read everything and judge it at their own, you know, at their own pace and, you know, using their own intellect to, to you know, to parse it. Know how it is in Canada, but generally in, in the United States, that the most banning usually occurs on a local level at the high school or the local school district. You don't find uh, uh, countries or even the, the states or provinces, I would say, uh, with general bans. You usually find them at the local level where uh, either conservatives or somebody 
uh, takes control of the school board and they're saying, we don't want this in our school. Do you find it the same in Canada? Yeah, pr- pretty much. You know, it does happen province to province, even sometimes uh, because here in Canada, the, the school system is by province, not by, uh, it's always by city. Not by, uh, and, and the mayor has nothing to do with it. It's a separate entity. So the Toronto District School Board and the Toronto Catholic School Board, uh, they can ban books from their uh, curriculum. They can't ban them from the school or from the you know children reading them. But yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's district to district. It's, you know, and I'm sure the Bible Belt in the States has quite a different ban list than, you know, the rest of the, the you know, the country. Absolutely. The, the thing about banned books is, it's almost impossible to enforce a ban nowadays. I mean, we, we don't live in that uh, 17th century culture anymore. Uh, best example is the United Arab Emirates has banned several books, including Harry Potter, from being in their schools. So you, you cannot use those books in schools. They are banned. But even there, where they do have much tighter control and where fatwas can actually be used to, to, right. to legally block the uh, the sale or the, or the import of items from the West, there is no plan to block the sale of the book in bookstores. Uh, you know, Harry Potter is is one of the most translated pieces of literature ever. Um, and and I, I like what Paul said earlier. It comes down to, to cultures, and it, it really is a, it's an acid test when you have one piece of work that makes its way so far across the globe, where uh, it has no choice but to run into those those cultural barriers. Like, for example, there were a lot of people in the Greek Orthodox Church who were really upset that it looked like Victor Crumb was supposed to be a person of their descent. And they, they, didn't, they wanted to know why a bad guy had to be, you know, represent right. them. Well, that's their own overlay on top of the book. It, it, it had nothing to do with how it was written or how it was presented. You make a good um, point, Padre, on that. that. You make a good point on that meaningless, meaninglessness of the, the band nowadays. I mean, it used to be this... Buying this for your home, and some home, if a home had five or six of these, you were well-to-do, because this was the equivalent of like buying a washing machine or a brand new 52-inch television, and you couldn't buy that many of them a year, where now you can buy this on your Kindle for $1.99, or you can buy the hardcover for $20. I mean, uh, you go back you know, a century or two, this was worth a lot more than $20, and that's why the biggest repositories of knowledge were, you know, the where the priests lived in a monastery. Uh, and yeah, right now, banning this from a school or banning it from wherever, it doesn't matter because you can always go on your Kindle and download it anyways, regardless. I mean, uh, now there is also the issue of the you know Amazon pulling books off Kindle, deleting them from your device, but we'll leave that for another show. Bad Amazon, very bad. But that wasn't censorship. That was a copyright issue. <laughs> it was just irony. Well, not irony. It was just funny that it was 1984 was the first one they deleted from people's hard drives. <laughs> they reached into your Kindle and deleted your copy of 1984. I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> now, Sir Jimmy, as far as carving books, is there any ban on carving books? No, I've, uh, I've carved about every book that would piss somebody off. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I just got via UPS today ten books that uh, I, let's just say it's Smile the best-selling the book in history, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm carving out a hole uh, to hold a DVD case, and there's a movie, uh, actually a TV show. I'm sorry that is in like it's like a not really a pilot, but like a 13-minute show that they make to uh, try to get TV stations to get interested in it and try to get the thing on the air. It's like the first part of it. And I've been working with the director and his assistant and they finally sent me the books and they need them Thursday. So I've got 10 books out there that I've already glued and they're dried and I'm going to cut them up tomorrow and, and FedEx them overnight. And if the show gets on TV, guess who's getting an executive producer credit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice, right. there, Jimmy. I want a screenshot of that, my friend. That, that will be sweet. Can we Hell say we do? on Earth. Hell on Earth is the name of the TV show, and, and what better book to hand out your movie and a Bible? <laughs> oh, there was a time you couldn't put Hell on, on TV or the movies. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, banned. 
And gentlemen, we'll continue talking some banned books and do some book news. I know, Steve, you got to go. You have an interview with a newspaper. That's correct. So I want to thank you very much, Paul, and to Jimmy and Robert. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me on your show. Thank you very much, Steve. We look forward to talking to you again. And uh, The Death of Johnny Ace comes out in mid-October. Looking forward to it. Okay. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. And let's get right into it, guys. Book news. Slow book news week. Uh, other than, you know, the Scotiabank Geller Prize and the Man Booker and all these other things. Short list. We'll post that on the site, bookguys.ca. You can go there to find all those lists. And like I said... Uh, the Scotiabank Geller Prize and all these other book prizes, the short list for them, make great reading. You know, fill up your Kindle, fill up your iPad. Uh, always winners. You know, Sisters Brothers last year with the Man Booker and all, lots of great stuff. Uh, I've got J.K. Rowling news, other than she wrote a really long-winded book called Casual Vacancy that I need a notebook to follow all the characters. <laughs> she may be writing a director's cut version of two of the Harry Potter books. She also wants to write another Harry Potter book for the series that takes place in the same time. And uh, she basically said, I had to write on the run, and there were times when it was really tough. And I read them, and I think, oh, God, maybe I'll go back and do a director's cut. All right. So she's going to rewrite some of the Harry Potter. Padre, are you going to reread any of these books because it's a director's cut? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Any, any, anytime <laughs> I hear director's cut of a book, it, it reminds me of, do you remember what Michael Crichton did to uh, The Lost World um, uh, and Jurassic Park? He believe- actually rewrote the book after the movies to make the book match what the director did in the movies. Right. It's, <laughs> no, you can't do that. It's, it's cheating. You know, uh, I think, you know, director's cut, I think it's like, I've, I've watched this movie or I've read this book. And if I come back and reread it 10 years from now, maybe I'll check out the director's cut because it'll be a little different. But you know what? Rereading a book 10 years later, it's all different anyways because, you, you know, you're rediscovering it. So I don't know. It's not, it's not the same as if maybe there's an unrated version. Ooh. Well, Ooh, 50 <laughs> Shades mean, of uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> that, that's the thing. If you added detail, if you, in, if you deepened the the universe that is Harry Potter that's one thing but if like you go back and you change substantial elements like right. characters no longer die or some characters who survived now do die uh, because like for example she said she wanted to kill off Weasley uh, uh, we- uh sorry uh, Ron's father don't say Wesley she, Wesley's okay Wesley, Wesley Crusher no. <laughs> she wanted to kill off Wesley Crusher no she she wanted to kill off Ron's father in uh, what was it in book five. But she gave him a reprieve because she felt that he had suffered enough. Well, what if she decides, no, I'm going to do that now. I, I, would like, right. I would like there to be some more hardship in this family. I, I would hate to read that. You know, if yeah, she's Greedo, listening, Greedo so, shot first. of course she is listening. But if she is listening, you know, something like what Orson did, Orson Scott Card with uh, Andrew's Shadow. I think that would be a little bit more interesting to actually take one of the Harry Potter books from one of the other characters' uh, points of view i love the fact that uh that orson scott card did this you know i i think you're right if if jk rawlings was to go back and write the story of harry potter from the from the views of minor characters you know you can't do any of the major characters because it, it's, it's it would be too weird but you know pick uh, pick a couple of students from other houses it, it would be incredible it would be amazing it would be it would be something that people would read even if they were diehard fans of the series because uh, who wouldn't want to know what was happening on the other side of the castle when right. they discovered the Chamber of Secrets? Absolutely. Take another major character and uh, take it from there. But, uh, you know, the, the, the risk of that is you get into the, you know, in science fiction, it would be the, the, the time travel paradox where you, you always have to make sure that whatever you're writing doesn't violate the main universe. And that's why it's always so hard to do a prequel. Um, so, you know, but if she's smart. She could do it. And I would pay for it a lot. And that is book news. And of course, gentlemen, making podcast fun again. Go to meeting, Padre. Thank you so much for introducing us to Go to Meeting. We have our own page now uh, for you, podcasters, authors who want to collaborate with others. If you want to record a podcast, bookguys.ca/slash go to meeting. Click on the link there. Not only will you get a free trial for a month, uh, you'll also be helping out the show because they will send us. 
a box of cookies and a bottle of milk for uh, for you signing up with them. <laughs> and it really is does make podcasting uh, fun again. We had our author on today. He had no problems connecting. He, he you know, his mic wasn't working. Whatever he couldn't figure it out. Uh, got in through the telephone one eight hundred number that comes with GoToMeeting for free. Uh, excellent. Love GoToMeeting. I give two thumbs up. If I had three thumbs, I'd give him three thumbs up. Great. <laughs> like anybody, you know, can can jump into GoToMeeting, and you will evolve your use of it over time. You, know, if it's just a telephone first. Yeah. Then you know, then you're going through the audio through the internet, and you realize, well, if I had a set of head- headphones, everything is better. It's it's terrific. It's very flexible. Um, I'm a big fan of it. it. Like we we said from the first day, it's made podcasting fun again. Yeah, and and one of the things I like about it, Sir Jimmy, is that I can uh, beginning of the day, I can send an email to everyone who's going to be on the show, send them a link to that meeting, and I don't have to worry about it. I just show up at seven o'clock or four o'clock whenever we're meeting. And all of you all just pop on whenever you, you know, have your time. Whenever you want to, you pop on. It's automatic. I love it. Love it, my friends. And we'll be back again next it's week. It's magic. We've got some great, great guests coming up. October 21st is going to be an exciting day. Guest host Tom Merritt's coming back. we got a jet fighter pilot. The most decorated jet fighter pilot in the USA is joining us that day as well. Uh, a, lot, a few more surprises. We're not going to talk about it just yet because we haven't nailed them down. It's going to be a lot of fun. Father Robert Balasur, this week in Enterprise Tech, the host. How you doing, sir? I am just grooving out. <laughs> and Sir Jimmy, Free Hollow Books. How you doing, sir? Doing fantastic. 15 new books going on the site tonight. Nice. Irish Kevin, thank you for sitting in, sir, and watching how we do this. Thank you for having me. And we will be back next week. Pretty much at the same book time, as Scott Rick says, and the same book channel. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel. Scott Rick, if you're out there, we really need to re-record that with book guys, not Paul the Book Guy. Just saying. Yes, we do. Help us, Scott Brick, your only hope.